right we must sing this whole episode for this is the opera the genetic opera (laughs) yep we're talking about repo the genetic opera a genetic opera a genetic opera (laughs) this was uh this this film was chosen uh because we are uh you know everybody has their collection of films on you know whether they're on dvd or blu-ray or maybe even VHS. Um, no, they don't. And I, well, in this day and age, I guess not. Yeah, you know, I always assume way, that. But... And then I meet people who are just slightly younger than I am, and they're like, "Damn, why is your house so cluttered?" Just... <laughs> yeah, why do you need all this? Yeah. Um, but if you do have a collection, there's probably a pretty good chance that like you might have at least a couple movies that you own that you've never watched. Just a couple boxes of movies. Yeah, sometimes it can get a little out of hand. <laughs> a back room of unwatched movies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for the first couple of weeks here of, two, of uh, 2018, we're going to be going through our back catalogs of movies that we've uh, never watched, but either we purchased them ourselves or maybe we were given them as a gift. But, uh, yeah, so almost out of a hat... Tim. The very first movie that popped into my head. Uh, I don't know why. I have so many movies that I haven't seen. I had the the day we watched it. I had other movies in my car that I hadn't seen. I could have just walked right out and been like, "Let's watch these instead." But nope. Repo the Genetic Opera. That was the first one that that appeared to me. So we watched it. Yeah. Before we. Uh dig into the movie i just want to say we are recording this on a uh, brand new uh recorder digital uh audio recorder that i got for christmas and uh, so this is our first go around with it and uh it's a different setup than we have used in the past so i don't really know what this is going to sound like hopefully it sounds good so a disclaimer out of the way oh Repo, repo, repo. What were your perceptions of the movie? Uh, like, well, well, where, where, where did you get the movie in the first place? Was it something that you bought, or was it given to you? I bought it um, at an FYE. Used, I imagine. Um, no, it was just randomly like ten bucks 
10 bucks. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just, it, uh, it seemed like, uh, like a, a weird, dark kind of movie that might have some good stuff in it. And this is a long time ago that I bought I don't even remember when I bought it. I feel like it's been kicking around my house for a while. Well, the movie came out in 2008. Yeah. Uh, DVD probably came out uh, 2009, maybe 2008, 2009. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no idea when I bought it. I feel like a new movie, if I'd bought it at FYE, it would have been like $30 because I, FYE doesn't understand how that works. So. Yeah, sometimes they're really uh, overpriced. Yeah, so it had to have been like a little while. I don't know. But... Um, I, like going in I knew like my or all right so before I actually watched it what I thought the movie was going to be was uh sort of like a a humorous uh musical film an opera it's in the title um with like sort of like a an all-star cast that I I imagined would mostly just be like random cameos and stuff um what gave you the impression that it was an all-star cast because the the front of the DVD listed a bunch of people that I'd heard of. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And one of them was Paris Hilton, and I'm like, well, it's probably like a cameo. I, th- I thought that you were expecting there to be, like, higher profile stars or something. No, no, no. Okay, so all-star cast in the sense that, like... They're all, yeah, they're, you know... Yeah, people who uh, I've heard of. <laughs> to me, that's a star. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, you know, I mean, like... Because it does have a good cast, uh, you know. On you know, like, there's Bill Mosley. It's a good cast on paper. Well, it's like you see, like I, you know, Bill Mosley's great. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, what's his name? Michael, is it? No, no, Anthony Stewart Head. Stewart, that's right. Anthony Stewart Head, who um, I knew from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I didn't know at all. Um, but I always kind of dug him. Then uh, there's uh, Paul Sorvino. Alexa Vega. You know, so it's like ogre. No, there's ogre. <laughs> and that, like the on the cover, like it's saying Paris Hilton and ogre. That's when I was like, oh, this is probably like an all star cast of like just mostly cameos because I, I like pretty much everybody else. I think like if you know who ogre is, you know him as like oh he's from the band Skinny Puppy. Probably not an actor. So I'm thinking he's just going to come on, do a song, and leave. But he's there for much of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, as is uh, Bill Mosley. And, well, Paris Hilton kind of has the smallest part out of all those people. It feels that way, but I don't... If you, Yeah, you're, you're right. Because thinking about it, I mean, because she does kind of get, like, a few lengthy scenes, I guess. But it feels like she's not like she's kind of inconsequential to the plot, so she well, feels it's... just sort of added on. I don't know. I mean, because she, um... it's, this is a hard movie to talk about. <laughs> it's not to say that she's inconsequential to the plot, but that like even the scenes that she's in, like it'll be established like here's all these people in a room, and it'll show all of them. You know that they're all in that room. It's almost like they couldn't get her for like as many days as the other people or something so like once her presence was like made known she just wouldn't be in a lot of the rest of the scene yeah you know and it took me i didn't even know she was in the movie Mm. and it took me 
a while to even realize that it was Paris Hilton because I feel like they were cutting around her face a lot. Like it, I like yeah. they didn't. She didn't really have any like really good close ups and stuff. Early on, yeah, early on, when her character was introduced, so yeah. it was really weird. Oh my god, the introduction of her and her siblings. I don't know. Do you, should we start this off? Do you want to try and do like a little plot synopsis? Oh my god! Just for in case anybody. I mean, you know, hopefully you've. I don't know if I should say hopefully you've all seen it. Well, um, here's the thing. Okay, so Repo the Genetic Opera. It's as we've been saying. It's it's a musical. I mean, it's an opera, which means literally the entire movie is sung. There's maybe like a handful of like throwaway lines that are spoken, but for musical effect almost yeah like it's like what is it recitative where you're like speaking to music and what is the other term like i don't i don't know i don't know german music terms sorry yeah (laughs) um but i mean for all intents and purposes it's 100 percent sung which uh yeah (laughs) um and so this movie does have a cult following yeah, even though we were kind of talking about it uh, when we watched the movie, because right on the front of the DVD it says an instant cult classic, as quoted by somebody, which we were talking about is like, oh, that's always like, why would you ever say that? How can something be just like proclaimed an instant cult classic, like at a time when you know whoever the reviewer was probably hadn't, you know, the movie probably wasn't even in like, you know, released for more than a couple weeks or something. Yeah. And, like, I mean, it's based on, like, a, a stage show. Like, the, the genetic opera was, you know, there have been several productions of this as an opera, like, on stage. Uh, and there was a following from that. So maybe that's why they were like, oh, well, there's already a following for this, so they'll just all watch the movie and love it, too. I don't know. I didn't like this movie. Yeah. Okay. If you're not understanding by our tone, we did not enjoy this movie. And on one level, it's like, I, I, I didn't like it and I didn't have a lot of fun watching it so much. But on the other hand, it's like, I don't want to like, just like crap all over the movie because it is doing something that's like very unique and original and kind of cool and you can tell that like they have like you know a low budget and they're working with it the best that they can and they they do kind of like and i mean it's so ambitious to be like we're gonna make this movie that is just like 100 percent singing and it's all set in this like dystopian future and uh you know the some of the set design is like kind of interesting and like there's when you can see it when you can see it when they decide to light it yeah. for you because like, sometimes like a lot of things feel kind of like uh very set like which kind of feel i don't know but that kind of adds into the, the whole theatrical kind of quality of it so i don't want to just be like you know this movie has absolutely no merit because it's like it's doing something interesting and uh and kind of cool i just wish it was executed better yeah and one of the I think a big problem with it is, um, you know, no offense to your alma mater, <laughs> uh, the director, I, he had directed the original stage production, 
So it made sense that he um, would do the film since he made his name directing films. But it's just, it's, it's a very, it's very choppy. It just seems so like thrown together. Like even when there's like good shots in there, they're just, they go, it's like, um, you know, it's like the MTV style, I guess of like cutting and everything. Yeah. You know, it was funny because I was thinking about it as being like the, the whole movie just feels like a music video. But then I realized like, well, of course it kind of does because the whole thing is music, but, but yeah, but <laughs> when I say that it feels like a music video, it's like in, in the way that it, uh, it doesn't feel like a movie. Like singing in the rain doesn't feel like a music video. It feels like a just a fucking musical. Right. And then it, I mean, yes, it's a musical compared to an opera. So let's say Tommy, Ken Russell's Tommy. I love that movie growing up. I haven't seen it in a while. I I don't think I've seen it as an adult. Um, my memories of it are all very positive. I they made it like a movie. Um. I don't, and that I mean the what is it Darren Darren Lynn Bowsman who went to Full Sail which is the college he went he to went Full to. Sail uh, University which is where I attended um, and at the, and I was actually in school uh, in 2008 when this movie came out and he had before before this movie he had uh, made Saw Two that was kind of his big you know directorial debut I guess were one of his first big movies um and i think there was i think there was maybe another saw sequel he, after he did that. he did three and four also but i was trying to did did they all come out before yeah because the first saw Repo? was 2004 right so two, and there was one a year it was so, one a year for yeah, a while yeah, yeah. There. so okay. five 2005 2006 2007 and then repo was 2008 so he had already made three saw films and he was uh sick of doing saw which that be, i mean even if it's something that you really like doing, just being known for doing the same thing over and over, I can see that as being kind of annoying. And he was, well, was he the production designer on the original Saw? I think that's how we ended up in the director's chair for the sequels. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Because they were like, uh, oh, we really like the work he did on this. We feel like the production design was a big part of it, so let's put him in charge, which that, that seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't seen those Saw movies. So I don't know if they're like uh, if they, if they're done in the same way that Repo is done. I've only seen Saw two, and it was a while ago, and I only was sort of like half watching it, so I can't really speak to it. But um, but yeah, he talks uh, on some of the DVD extras about how he was like influenced by like for a while. Uh, they're, they're, all right, so there's like a couple featurettes and two full commentary tracks on the disc. Um, and I feel like throughout much of it, he keeps referring to like, oh, like I was really in inspired by movies from the 70s. And usually when like a horror director is saying stuff like that, you, you think back and you're thinking like, you know, stuff like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and mm -hmm. like Hills Have Eyes and things like that, or maybe The Exorcist. Um, but in the second commentary track I listened to, I don't remember which one I listened to first. Uh, or no, it, yeah, so it was the, the first one I listened to was him with some of the actors, and the second one was him with... With the, uh, with the, with the musical guys. Yeah. 
And he talks about, like, the films he's been referring to, like, when he's saying influenced by films from the 70s, are rock operas, like um, Tommy, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Hair, hmm. which I don't, I don't know if I've seen all of Hair. I don't remember it as being an opera, but I mean it's a musical in the right. 70s, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, and, I don't know, have you seen all those... Like, have you seen a lot of, like, 70s musicals? No. I mean, they mentioned Rocky Horror also, of course, which that's... You can see... This movie the, wants can, so bad to be Rocky you can Horror. See, yeah, you can definitely see the influence there. <laughs> Especially in, like, the last whole, like, set piece. The genetic opera itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opera within the opera, which is basically uh, the floor show from Rocky Horror Picture Show, set-wise. Yeah, you know, I was kind of bothered by that set because I was because they're like, you know, oh, we're gonna come to the opera, and I was expecting the set to kind of feel more like a big opera house, and this just kind of felt like we got a bunch of chairs in in the gymnasium, <laughs> and we got a stage <laughs> over here. You know what I mean? It just felt so small and kind of like I don't know, just not very impressive. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a like it's a good summary of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot of issues. I mean, one of the one of the biggest problems that I was that I was feeling over and over and over again was that I didn't feel like any of the actors were particularly great at singing these specific songs. Yeah, because some of them have sung professionally before yeah like Paul Sorvino and Anthony Stewart Head and we've got Sarah Brightman in there who the role she's, of Christine in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Family of the Opera was written for her yeah she's the she's the only one who really like when she sings it's kind of like show stopping and like oh it's actual real opera singing yeah she has <laughs> she plays Blind Mag and she has this this one great moment where every, the whole movie kind of stops for her mm-hmm. towards the end and we just kind of like watch her just do this one song at the end of which she rips her eyes out yeah and then is killed um and it's like it's all in italian i have no idea what she's singing it's just it's a story about um a caged bird or something i believe uh and it's just really great to listen to and it's a little island in the middle of Mm -hmm. the rest of the music (laughs) but like we sort of mentioned the this like all-star cast yeah with people like bill mosley who you know he's he's great in so many movies i've never heard him sing before have you? no no and uh, he doesn't belong in this movie <laughs> shut the fuck up i'm the smartest and the toughest i will find a hole and fuck it if there ain't one We'll make one. Luigi, don't take shit from no one. One brain market up. Only I got brains enough. That's why Pop will leave Gene Co to me. Me, 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 me. Uh, the commentary with Darren Lynn Bousman, Alexa Vega, Ogre, and Bill Mosley. Bill Mosley is so proud of his singing. And he auditioned. He had to audition singing. And it's that was a surreal moment, listening to that commentary. 
because I was expecting like it could be one of those tracks where like well here's what we wanted to do here's what we had to do here's the compromise and there was some of that because you know it was a lower budget film and that mm-hmm. comes up but so much of it was just them all just like gushing all over each other about how much they loved the way it turned out and right. how great it was and I'm glad that like they like it. and and I'm yeah. glad that like there are a lot of people who actually do really love this movie yeah and like the there's a moment like I mean I kind of was teasing about it earlier with well, like all right, so in the song, I'm not, I'm not 100 on the names of each of these songs. Because well, because they all, they all kind of blend together, yeah, yeah. Um, like if you're going, if you're looking at the DVD, and the scene selections help you out a little bit. Mm. But one of them, I think it's, no, it's not called Grave Robber. I don't know. Maybe it is. That'd be like the opening. No, no, song, no. Right? no. Um, it's when. I'm just thinking that because Paris Hilton's going like, Grave Robber. Yeah, yeah. Grave Robber. <laughs> it might be 21st Century Cure. I'm not sure. It's when the yeah. Grave Robber brings Shiloh to like the streets and she yeah. sees all the drug people. And he's, and like, he's explaining Zydrate. Zydrate comes in a little glass vial. A, a little, little glass, glass vial? A little glass vial. And like on a the commentary. Glass vial goes into the gun like a. <laughs> Like a battery. So you've been listening to this all like week. Like a battery. No, it's just been in my head. <laughs> oh man, at work all week it kept different I saw, parts pop in there. Yeah, and we it, literally watched this movie a week ago from <laughs> when we were recording this, and I, I, the only thing that I that I've done since then, I, I hopped on to uh, online just to, I went onto YouTube, yeah, to kind of like see some reviews to see what people were kind of talking about and looking at comments to some of the to the tracks that were on YouTube and that's where I realized like oh this movie ha- does actually have like a cult following people love the soundtrack people love the movie of all of the reviews that I checked out all of them were positive positive. and there were like five like four, like four or five uh, video reviews and they were all positive and I was like okay well yeah. you know <laughs> people was, really like it um, but the reason I mentioned that song was in the commentary track when it gets to that part and the grave robber says a little glass vial everyone on the track goes a little glass vial like they're like they're having fun singing along yeah and they're just but it's like I don't know like it it's hard to knock people for liking something especially if it's something that they did yeah I I would love to love this movie any any movie I go into I try to watch it yeah that's the thing is like I I would love to love this movie too because it's so much of it on paper looks great and I, I've always loved the poster I think is really striking the image of the uh, of the repo man um, with the title up there it just yeah. like it's there's something uh, attractive about it am I just I mean it's not really uh, the kind of music that we listen to yeah um, and because it basically sounds like um, you're listening to like Evanescence. Well, that's why I was surprised that it is a 2008 film. Because, like, I would imagine, like, if it had come out, like, a decade earlier, like, it just... In the 90s, the music that I was listening to was very similar to that music. Like, I listened to a lot of, like, angry, dark, industrial stuff. Right. And, um... Well, I mean, you're saying that like, the movie came out in 2008, but yeah. the musical was written years before. Yeah. So it was a little, you know, more of that time. 
and even <laughs> seventeen, the song where Shiloh just suddenly like breaks out in her and like fuck you, Dad. Yeah, I'm seventeen. It's it's you like made hot. my life awful, Dad. It's like hot get out of my room, Dad. And then it's got the Joan Jack cameo in there, which... All right, so we when we watched the DVD, we watched the trailers that, like, automatically start when it's running. And there was a trailer for a movie called uh, Pray for Rock and Roll, which I don't think either of us had heard of before or since. Yeah. Uh, no. That had Gina Gershon in it as, like, um, like a, an older woman rocker. Uh, and so Joan Jett has this cameo in Repo, and she looks just like Gina Gershon in that movie. Yeah, because she's kind of, like... She doesn't really get like a good. I don't know. Like I, I didn't really get a good look at her because it's kind of dark and. I think like any other time that I would see Joan Jett, I'd automatically be like, "Oh, hey, it's Joan Jett." Yeah. But just because I had just seen that other. Yeah, thing. it seemed like there was a cameo from this other movie <laughs> that we from the trailer at the beginning of the DVD. It was like, "Wait, what's she doing here?" And I don't. I'm not a particular. I don't. I don't care for Joan Jett anyway. But just. Ah, just that moment kind of... And, like, that was what I was expecting going in was all these, like, wall-to-wall cameos and stuff. Right. And, but really, that's, like, the only one. And it's just, like... It didn't really seem to belong there. Yeah, I mean... It was almost just, like... The, the film seems to be... Like, all right. I wonder if a lot of people who are super into this movie were, like... 13, 14, 15 when it came out. Yeah, and it, like it got him at right just the right moment. We, there was a moment when um, it was the Shiloh's first big song, when she was like, "I have a blood disease," and it you you like it's like she's singing to her mother who like it's like you gave me this pain I'm and d- I'm infected by you or whatever by your genetics. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, Shiloh, I'm your doctor. <laughs> Shiloh, I'm your father. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember during that song, we kind of both... It, that was, like, the first time during the movie that we kind of broke out of the movie a little bit. And we were kind of like, this movie's not for us. Yeah. Because it, 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 I do feel like if you were, like, a teenager, particularly maybe a teenage girl maybe this movie would actually be like you know more your speed but i feel like there are moments like the song 17 where it's almost like it shouldn't it doesn't seem right if it's for that group like if i feel like if i you know and this is a big leap if i was a teenage girl and i'm watching this and all of a sudden you have a song like 17 where it just seems to be saying like, all right, so the, she's now entering her rebellious stage. She's been locked in this room all her life. Mm-hmm. She's finally like learning a little bit about what's going on out in the outside world. 
and um, and she started listening to Joan Jett apparently. <laughs> um, so now she's in her like little rebellious stage or something. It seems like, like looking down on it when that I feel like that's I don't know. Don't look down on people's rebellious stages and especially like that's if that song was removed from the movie, I feel like it would. It, that that's like the one moment where it's not on their side like you're not on shiloh's side it's it's just like the movie itself is this like adult who's like looking down on her right because it just looks like it's just like because the it, it breaks into like a pop punk avril lavigne type exactly thing. yeah where and it, it feel that that's the most music video-esque part of the movie yeah and she's where it feels like oh now let's tune into the nick Choice awards, your kids awards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like the song starts where he says something about her being seventeen, and she's like, "It's better than 40 and yeah. then she just kind of like breaks out in her snotty little, I don't know. Um, and it's just, yeah, musically, it doesn't really jive with the rest of it, which is a weird complaint because I don't like the rest of it musically. Yeah, this but is another. At least it can just be its own thing. Yeah, this is another major problem that I feel like none of the songs were like really enjoyable to listen to to me and the grave robber who that's that guy has always been the grave robber even on stage and he is one of the creators yeah um it's it just seems like and this is connected to thinking of it as like hot topic the movie yeah like it's like oh man i just watched this new movie nightmare before christmas Jack Skellington, that's where it's at. I want to be that guy. <laughs> and he just, he, that's how he sings it, which is fine, but I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. Um. And like, I just wish that like the, I, I, yeah, the songs, I just wish were just like better songs. That's like the biggest problem to me with the movie is that I wish that the songs were better and that they that that the actors could like just sing them better and that they hired people who could actually like sing them properly. You've got somebody like Paris Hilton and like Paris Hilton, I'm like it's kind of cool that she's in this movie in the part that she's playing because the part the character is kind of like a twist on the Paris Hilton kind of persona mm. of like this like young socialite you know Beverly Hills style kind of like obsessed with plastic surgery and you know the image of everything and being a celebrity and it's kind of twisting on that and one of my favorite parts of the movie actually is and i feel like the scene got like cut down or something but uh because yeah all of her scenes just feel so short and like snipped up yeah very strange but like she goes and sings at the genetic opera and like her face is falling off the whole time and she gets booed for it yeah and I thought that was just a cool image of like it's Paris Hilton like singing not very well and her face is like falling off and it I don't know that was one of the moments that kind of broke through for me as being like oh that's like that's a cool image to capture at a time especially like 2008 when Paris Hilton was like more relevant to uh, I don't know pop culture yeah and she already had an album out so it's like oh she's a singer now oh now she's in an opera like yeah. ooh, get Paris and go. it's like oh she's gonna put this face on now and you know yeah and um and one thing that they mentioned in the in the commentaries is that like um she 
seemed to be taking the part seriously and she actually uh she was making like these like books of like collages of like the character and just like different things that like made her like think about the character how the character should look mm. and like what the character thinks of different things and like she, she was taking it very seriously the role and everything it's and, just like, i don't get invested into like what makes that character tick really because we, we're not it's there's a there's a disconnect between the audience and the, the happenings of the movie because like there's aspects of the plot that i am so confused about like what maybe uh having having sat through two commentaries and watched a few more like clips over and over maybe i can enlighten you <laughs> i don't know though. like okay so there's shiloh yeah and uh what's the who's the head of the co- of the corporation what's that character's name paul Sorvino's character like slug or slug i can't remember oh like his his last name yeah the 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 fucking god i should know this <laughs> yeah come on tim you've seen this movie three times the head now. of jinko the head of jinko um, who it's funny when they say jinko i i think of jinko jeans yeah which just ties it more into this whole like hot topic idea yeah rot roddy largo largo there you go okay okay so shot there's shiloh there's the scene where, where where Largo comes and, like, picks her up at her house. Yeah. And brings her to the fair. <laughs> what is that place? The fair? The market? The place where the genetic opera is, where there's this whole press event happening? Yeah, it seems to be a big fair. And so in the, in the car ride over, he tells her, like, I've got a cure for your blood disease. Yeah. And... I will give it to you if what what I, I don't know I don't understand what's going on in that scene like he's telling her I've got the cure but you need to do but you need to come with me to this place and then immediately like she's just left to to her own there. well he introduces her to uh, blind mag right who is her godmother that she never realized mm-hmm. but why is he godmother. introducing her to blind mag why is he bringing her to the the fair or whatever that place is the, to the press event because he's trying to figure out like who he's going to entrust gene co to after he dies yeah he wants to leave it disease. to her he doesn't want to leave it to his snotty kids right and he wants to leave it to her because she's the daughter of the woman that he loved that makes sense to me yeah but I kept expecting a twist where it's like he was the dad. Like, he got her pregnant before she married his rival. Mm. But, we, no, that never that didn't happen. There's a lot of, like, uh, plot twists that happen in the uh, backstory. Yeah, like an opera. Where, like, there's constant, like twists and turns and uh, random well it's like there's all this backstory stuff yeah that is all done in such a weird way in this like comic book way which is so and it all it tells you stuff that you find out later like in songs and stuff like nothing you learn from the comic book portions is anything you wouldn't know from just like watching the rest of the movie yeah it's really weird how it's just like the movie will come to a screeching halt and suddenly it's just like oh now we have to read all of this backstory stuff it kind of reminded me of um have you seen tank girl 
long time ago on like Comedy Central. That was randomly on TV yesterday when I was flipping through channels, <laughs> and I watched a few minutes of it. And I, it has like these like little comic book moments, but the difference is Tank Girl is based on a comic book, so it sort of made sense for them to like use that within the film. Repo, it was just like, oh, we want to show this stuff, but we don't want to do it. Yeah. Let's just have this guy draw it. And that kind of feels like where the budget might have like come into play, where it's like, ah, you know, we could film all this But like, they still stuff. have flashbacks. They do. And that's what's weird. It just feels like this hodgepodge of like this story that we're being told in like these weird sort of segments. And the stuff that we choose to sort of focus on in the in the present i feel like why not just i don't know why can't we see some of that flashback stuff you could have had one flashback song and just told it's just shown everything that's in those comic book segments and it would have connected things better i think yeah and it would have been more dramatic is the thing because it's just not dramatic at all no it's just a lot of just stopping and starting yeah totally Yeah, because, like, I'm trying to think of it. Because they, he brings her to the fair, which, let's just call it a fair, I guess. I guess it's, <laughs> but then it's like, so he just leaves her there. And then, like, a couple of his, like, uh, sexy guards or whatever just kind of throw her in this tent. Yeah, I don't and understand. And she like, runs what's into going the grave on? robber. And, and then grave robber's like, quick, come with me, I'll get you out of here. And I'm just like, what, like, why does she need to escape this I place? don't get who that guy is in relation to her. Because yeah, he sees robber? her earlier yeah, in the just, graveyard. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <sighs> Like, well, why does, uh, if Largo is, like, basically grooming her to take his place, why does he just leave her alone and in this tent like a prisoner? And then the, that the grave robber has to come and, like, save her. And she's like, I need to get out of here. And then it's like, we're going to take a break in the alleyway where, you know, we're going to sing about Zydrate, which is like, okay, why is Zydrate important? Why is there a whole song about Zydrate? Like that's why he's a uh, robbing graves. Right, because... but why is Zydrate important to like the story? Well, Amber Sweet, uh-huh. Paris Hilton's character, is addicted to it. Yeah, but like, why <laughs> is that important? Because <laughs> she... <laughs> she's in the movie, and you got because she's that in the movie. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like there's all this stuff that's kind of like the, these cool ideas where it's like it's world building. It's Let's world building. Yes. <laughs> But it's just like, why is all that stuff important? It just, I don't know. Because it's all this information that they're telling you. Like, there's a whole song about, like, Zydrate comes in a little glass. It's like, they're telling you all this information yeah. that you need to know. But then it's like, that never comes into, Zydrate never comes into play. Zydrate's but never used for anything. But in that scene, she also learns, more, like, because he also, in that same song, they're talking about Blind Mag, and he says, uh, like, about her contract. It's like, her contract has some mighty fine print. Some mighty, mighty fine, fine print? print. Mighty fine print. Which, that's such a horrible style. It's it is. Like it a... is su- it's like the cheapest way to do, I don't know, like, oh, oh, we're writing a musical. We're writing a musical? We're writing a musical. Amber Sweet is, a, oh, is it addicted to the knife. Addicted to the knife? Like, all these things are, sw- like, Shiloh is so shocked by all of this. Yes. And what's so confusing is, like, why is she so shocked by a little glass vial? A little glass vial? Like, why is that like, no! Get the fuck out of town! A little glass vial! Yes. I'll understand, like, oh, this famous person's daughter is addicted to plastic surgery. What? That's shocking. Or, oh, there's fine print in this 
person's contract? I don't know. But anyway, mm-hmm. but it does explain how in the contract it's like if she ever decides not to sing for Paul Sorvino anymore, then her eyes will be removed. Yeah, and that makes sense. That's an important plot point. And in that whole sequence in the alley with the junkies and everything, that might be the one thing to take away from it. Yeah, the one important <laughs> piece of information that will actually come into play later. I'd like to see the 10 minute short they made of this to sell the companies like I'm giving them money because I'm wondering if it's just like, wow, 10 minutes, super concise. Everything you need to know is right in there. Yeah. We don't need to make the movie. And it's like, I'm not, I don't want to say like, you know, oh, well, like they just need to cut out all this stuff. It's just like, <sighs> because we've talked, I mean, again, you know, the other musicals and stuff like. I think it was in an episode or Curtis when I was talking about like singing in the rain. Right. You can get rid of the song singing in the rain and it affects nothing. Yeah. It's you, not all like about that, the plot. Like it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't have everything in a movie doesn't have to be all about like, you know, the bullet points of the plot. And if it's not servicing that, like then it's no good. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just like, I wish that there, there's so much information thrown at you about so many different things in this movie. Yeah. I never know which way to look is the problem where it's like, okay, we're introduced to, like, all of, like, the children of Largo, but it's, like, all of their backstories and all of their things, like, don't really... That's just all on the side happening over here. Watching it, I kept thinking of the Bluth family from Arrested Development. Oh, yeah, they're, yeah, that kind of makes there's sense. there's two brothers and one sister. Yeah, and no, like... and they all kind of... Yeah, where it's, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, Bill Mosley is kind of like the Job. And, uh... See, I couldn't decide which one would be Job and which one would be I feel like he would Michael. be Job. Okay. So Pavi is Michael, who wears other people's faces. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, if we liked the songs, it'd just be so much easier to take. Oh, for sure. Like, because if the songs were really good, and you like, I just. I just think the story should have just been, like, just simplified a little bit. Because, like I said, there's just, like, this... There's already this, like, convoluted backstory. Where, in the end, I still don't understand, like, if the... Was the father, like... Shiloh's father? Shiloh's father. Okay, so he... (laughs) He married his wife, who's Shiloh's mother. Right. Who was to be married to Largo. Yeah. But she canceled that wedding to marry the father. Yes. She was pregnant and became sick. Hmm. The father tried to save her with by uh, basically he's because he's like a doctor. He tries to come up with a cure for her sickness. Fails, and realizes that he can only save one of them either his wife or his unborn child and decides to save the child. Now, we're shown in one of these, like, comic book flashbacks, or is it the actual uh, flashback that we see, where we see that Largo actually was responsible for the cure failing because he added some other chemical to it. That's a... Uh, we see the scene in comic form and, and in, action. Yeah, okay. But the I think Largo doesn't appear in the comic version of it. But we see like that, like, oh, somebody tampered with the thing and Largo's responsible for it. Which I don't understand that because it's like, 
doesn't he love her? But did he, he really? Because then later they're saying like, oh, your father killed your mother. And like, maybe that's just what, maybe he just did just flat out kill her. Yeah, because then he, because then the whole movie is like about him being, feeling responsible for her death and like, my daughter can never know I'm responsible for her mother's death. And it's like, but it's not his, I guess, I don't know, it just doesn't feel strong enough to me that it's like, it's not your fault. You tried to save them both. But it's really Largo's fault because he's like poisoned the cure, but that never comes up again. In the end, when we're in the genetic opera, he's trying to tell Shiloh, the Largo's trying to tell Shiloh that it's like, yeah, your father, you know, killed your mother and he's been poisoning you this whole time by keeping you. He's the the reason why you are sick. He's keeping you sick, which I guess is also true. Yeah. I'm just like, what the hell is going on He's here? He's been, I don't, like, drugging her this whole time to keep her just in that room and basically keep her from growing up and going out on her own, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, and which, which is why I think that I can imagine, like, just a teenager watching this and be like, yeah, yeah. parents are keeping us down. <laughs> You're they're, that dad? They're filling us all up <laughs> with their, their, their Ritalin and their Adderall. Right, yeah. And their Xanax and their... Whatever I'm trying to think of, like all the stuff that like my ex used to take. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> like all all the various pills that like the past few generations have been fed. Right. Which, um, on the one hand, it's like, well, science shows these can be very handy. On the other hand, it's like they're using it to keep the youth in line. Um. And I feel like it. It's kind of playing off of that. Like but it's he's like, been poisoning his child with medicine. So we're supposed to... But, like, through the whole movie, the father is a very sympathetic character. He's also... He is secretly the Repo Man. Yeah. So he's kind of like the big bad villain who's out in the world tracking down people who owe uh, Gene Co. Yeah. <laughs> their organs. And he goes and repossesses them by, you know, just gutting them open. And he seems to savor that job. He's just a horrible person, I guess. If yeah. He's, if he's, you know, just poisoning his daughter and going yeah, out and, and like I see, I found that to be one of the interesting things about the, things about the movie is that right. we're introduced to this character who seems sympathetic. Yeah, he, and then he, like, he is the most interesting character in the movie for sure. Yeah, he is basically one of the villains. Yeah, and but there's also is there like there's like a blackmail thing going on to yeah and that's another thing that i don't understand where it's like okay so what is the leverage that largo has on him to keep him as the repo man he's like you know i'm gonna tell your daughter that you killed her mother i feel like well as her father i'll be like this man you've never met before is lying to you yeah (laughs) and it's Uh, like i tried to save her but like the cure didn't work and i could only save one of you like how is that not like a good enough explanation like I feel like must be a lie it's just I don't know none of that stuff really really makes sense to me and coalesces into like something that makes sense and the eventual cure because like when Largo goes to get Shiloh and he says like I have a cure for you he does give her the cure and the cure is basically just the knowledge right that you you don't need to just be in that room all the time yeah he's poisoning you and then it ends what I wish was the ending, which is unfortunately not the ending, is her, she goes off the stage, she walks to the audience, much like I'm going home from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, like, there's even this, like, the spotlight behind her and the audience applauding. Wait, uh, I don't know. Uh, and then, like, she goes, she's, 
saying like how she's free or whatever and like she goes out and um like that should be the story that we follow and that ends but instead then we get stuff that apparently was shot later because <laughs> they didn't want it to end that way they got the grave robber to come back out and sing a little bit of something and then the credits start and then there's another scene yeah where it's like oh shiloh didn't didn't stay the head of the company that she inherited so now it's these other characters it's the children yeah which is like okay so what was the point of any of this yeah it's like they wanted the whole thing is like the children want to inherit their father's company but he wants to leave it to this other girl that i don't think they even know about yeah like what and um (laughs) and then so like he dies Largo dies Shiloh gets the company and then she just walks away from it and it ends up going to the the three kids anyway yeah it's like okay wow great and it ends like with like that sort of like uh, do you think they were trying to set it up for a potential sequel well this (laughs) apparently (laughs) um this wasn't the idea when doing the stage show, but when they were making the movie, they were thinking of it as the middle part of a trilogy. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and they were saying, like... You know, the, the Now, the commentaries were recorded before the movie was released. Which, that's... That's one of the frustrating things about watching movies that were made in, like, you know, like, post-late 90s. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, most of the special features have no historical context. Right. They exist in the moment. Yeah. Um, which sometimes makes them heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you see all these interviews with actors who are, like, on the set with the thing, and they're like, what we're doing is just, it's, it's amazing, it's revolutionary, it's never, been, it's never been done before. We've got all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that movie just, like, came and went so fast yeah. and it's gone. Nobody remembers. Well, like, on this one, they're saying, like, we don't know how it's going to do... Um, if it, if it makes a if it makes its money back or if it does better than break even then we think we've got the go ahead to do a follow up and um, it hasn't happened yet it's been a uh, almost a decade now since the movie came out so i've got the uh, the box office stats here they had a budget of 8.5 million dollars and their worldwide box office gross was 188,000 so, pretty rough. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess unless there's a uh, an even stronger cult following than I'm aware of, we probably won't be seeing these uh, these other additions to the trilogy. So, did they explain like what a potential sequel would be? Because I'm gonna guess what the prequel would be. It would be the whole backstory of. All of which would seem like such a colossal waste of time. Yeah, seriously, because it's like, okay, we already know like everything that's going on here. I mean, I, I mean, it's convoluted to me. I don't know what the hell is going on, but do I want to watch a whole movie about that mess? No, I'm not sure what a sequel would have been. <sighs> but they all seemed really excited about it when recording the commentary. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, it's like... 
And I, I, I'm, I was rooting for this movie when I was watching yeah. it. I really was. Because it, it, it was different. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and that's great. And I think like, you know, those type of, whether it was, you know, financially successful at the box office or not. Like, I think like these types of, of experiments should be done and should happen and we should encourage it. And it was people who were kind of like known for a certain thing, trying to do something else, like the director with like the Saw films, mm-hmm. and like uh, Alexa Vega mentions that like you know this this was going to be the movie that made her like not like that girl from Spy Kids anymore, right? And um, <laughs> I haven't seen the Spy Kids movies. Yeah, me neither. Um, but like, I don't know. She does a serviceable job in this. Serviceable sounds like a dig. I don't know. That that was a poorly chosen word, I guess. Like, well, no. I mean, it's like <laughs> serviceable is is kind of how I would say it. I she doesn't uh, the singing chops, man, is the thing that like trips me up. Where I'm just like, but it. I don't think it's so much the fault of the actors for not being able to sing as well because the, the songs the songs singing. are just like so much. There's just so much flat. Uh, tonality going on that it's just kind of hard to make it sound good so she was like 20 in this movie I think um, playing a 17 year old they make that abundantly clear yes um, one thing that was weird about the commentary with her was uh, some of the things some of the ways that the uh, the much older men on the commentary track were saying about her towards her was like, oh, that's awkward. But they've all worked together. They all know each other. So they're all just joking. Whatever. Uh-huh. And then um, one of them makes a joke about her being into like middle-aged men or something. And I was like, oh, where's where's this conversation going? <laughs> but then it, it, she mentions how like her boyfriend at that at the time of that recording was like much older than her. And like I don't know who it was. She, she didn't say a name or anything. I looked up like she was her she married her first husband like a couple years after this movie and he was like in his like late 30s or something uh so maybe that's what they're referring to uh but she mentions how like or one of them says something about her eating skittles and she like shushes them and then it, she says something about like her boyfriend won't let her eat sweets and it just made me very concerned for her at that time. Yeah, that's weird. This conversation she was having with people a decade ago about someone, I have no idea who he is. <laughs> but it just, I got very involved in that part of the commentary. Like, I was, like, looking for all the subtext of, like, is she okay? Like, what sort of relationship is she in with some old man who won't let her eat Skittles? Yeah. Well, there you go. You don't need to listen to the commentary tracks. Cause I feel like I just got a good... Uh... <laughs> I got all the yeah. got all the dirt that I that I need. Like I feel like I don't know. This is like completely off topic, but just like when someone like that, like when you grow up on sets, I imagine you're just used to like old pe not old people, but like people like at least a decade older than you. Like I and, and you're actually like working with them. Yeah. In this, yeah. So it's just, it's weird to think like oh she was like twenty she's dating this guy like in his like late thirties, um, but it's like I guess maybe that's all she knew. <laughs> Boy, yeah, you really did get invested. In well, because like, it just I was concerned, and then I was just thinking about like well like 
didn't the Olsen twins, or at least one of the Olsen twins, marry like some really old guy? Oh, really? I don't know. And they're like, well, when they were babies, they were hanging out with Bob Saget. He was old to them. I don't know. Like, <laughs> not that anything was going on between. Yeah, what are you suggesting to? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think of like if, like, let's say like Dakota Fanning. Just famous, like, child actresses. Like, I don't know who they do end up with. Like, how old is Chloe Grace Moritz's boyfriend? Yeah, where is that guy? Yeah, I have no idea who she's dating or anything. But I'm just concerned for all of them, in general. And, like, you know, there's been all this stuff in the news for a while now about all, like, the horrible, like, sexual stuff going on in Hollywood. But this commentary in particular was just making me very, like, oh, all these poor child actresses. (laughs) Like... I don't know. Well, yeah, it was just no, a weird I mean, response to it, I guess. I mean, it makes sense. There's all sorts of... I mean, as we've been, you know... <laughs> make, made Making... Uh, as we've been made abundantly clear, it's a... Uh, like, there's a lot of shady as, stuff going down, but... It, as far as I know, nobody involved in this movie. Right. I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> it was just something... Because it's, like, you know, better on everybody's mind. I'm, like, listening to this commentary track with this young girl and these older guys and just, like, joking about stuff and, t- like... I don't know. I I took this conversation on a train and then just drove it into a wall. Drove it into a wall? I drove the train into a wall. Oh, I was trying to do the thing where it's like, you drove it into a wall? Oh, okay. I drove it into a wall. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, uh, so this was the first film that I watched. The first film that you watched? The first film that I watched. (laughs) In 2018. Um hell of a way to start the year and uh, i posted on facebook uh just like yesterday the day before or something um like how many movies i watched last year and like what the first and last one was and what the first one 2018 was and um our friend kylie uh commented on it and she was saying how she loved it and we had like a little back and forth like four comments back and forth or something and i guess it just for her it boiled down to she liked the songs um, and then I was talking to my friend Colin the other day and I was with Colin and our friend Steve and I mentioned how I watched it and it was horrible and Steve was like, oh God, I'm sorry that you had to watch that. And Colin was like, I love Repo. And I was, and I legitimately was like, please tell me why. Cause uh-huh. I, I'm really curious. And she goes, cause Giles is singing. Cause Giles. Cause that's yeah. the guy he played on Buffy. Yeah, and uh, Stewart head, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, okay, but do you like the movie? And she's like, I thought I did. And I'm like, well, no, you can. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was making her doubt it, I guess. But, like, I never really got a straight answer out of her. And then I was uh, messaging her this morning about it. And she was saying how she kind of, like, likes it in the same way that she likes Reefer Madness. And I, I was like, do you mean the original or the musical? And she said, both. Like, she likes to laugh at them. Which was confusing to me, because I, I haven't seen Reefer Madness the musical in a while. But I watched Reefer Madness a lot growing up. And uh, my memories of the musical are, like, positive. Like, oh, they, it's, like, a good musical. Like, you're not laughing at, you're laughing with. But I guess, I don't know. But she also mentioned the same thing about Zombievers. And I just think Zombievers is legitimately good. Really? You disagree? I've never seen it. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. 
different strokes. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is like that. (laughs) There are a lot of people who who legitimately like the movie, and that's like totally cool. And like the reviews that I was reading, they seem to be more negative than the ones that you found. But each one of them would always be like, "Well, at least the sets were really cool," and it's like. Maybe they were, but I really don't think they were filmed in a way that we can tell. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's like this this really bad HD the, quality. Yeah, the main set that I can like distinctly think about is the uh, is Shiloh's house, like her bedroom, and then that that staircase that goes down to like the uh, the fireplace. Yeah. And that house, like especially that staircase fireplace front foyer room, just feels totally like a set. It feels like an empty fake set they uh there was a, a heated exchange on the set about the fireplace because they like they had it built and everything and they had it like constructed and then uh the director is like all right turn it on and i guess everybody just kind of looked at each other and he was like what and they're like well we can't turn it on and he's like i thought it was going to be like a working fire. and they're like no it works but we can't turn it on that's a different union or something Oh, because yeah. unions are you get into all that I'm not yeah. a union person I don't know I know that I get into disagreements with some friends about unions but um, so it was everything kind of stopped for about I think they said about three hours while they were waiting to like not only get the right person but they had to figure out who the right person would have been from what group would that person be who can physically reach out and press a fucking button and finally the director went over and did it himself and everybody was mad but I mean I don't know production shut down for three hours because of something like that it just seems so silly to me oh yeah I mean and you just think about like how this is just like one instance on one movie yeah you think about just across the industry how much money and time is just thrown away for nonsense like that it's just like it's infuriating the amount of money that is wasted yeah. just daily in all these productions is just astronomical because the unions want to line their pockets and like they're just that's all it is. they want every movie to be a union movie because yeah then the, not even the people in the unions so the people who run the unions so they can have money they don't give a shit about the people in the unions it's just the, anyway this is a whole other thing but <laughs> I don't know um but yeah, you were saying about that set, though. How you, you felt it looked like a set. Yeah, it just didn't... I, it, but that's fine. I feel like that's... But it, especially there is the musical. theatricality aspect of it. Yeah. yeah, which is like, okay. But it just... I don't know. And not even theatrical. Cinematic, I would say. Well, like a good in- thing that, that uh, sort of goes to what you're talking about, of like, we don't really get a good look at these sets, or they're not really shot in a way that really accentuates them, is that opening sequence with the grave robber and Shiloh sort of escaping out into the the graveyard yeah in the behind the scenes featurettes they're talking about how like you know oh you know we wanted to make this thing like some something that you've never seen before so it's actually like this this whole graveyard is actually like in this big building it's all indoors yeah. so you've got like chandeliers hanging down from the thing and whatever and which we wouldn't have known if we I did not that. realize at all that that's what was going on because I just like it because there are trees and stuff it just felt like it was outdoors but it just felt like sort of like a fake outdoors yeah which again it's the theater so it's like okay I can go along with that but yeah I just didn't uh, I did not connect those dots now I'm j- but even in a movie like you're you keep saying like theatrical right and it's like theater and stuff but like I like 
it just in movies when there's stuff that's like clearly artificial like i'm fine with that it doesn't have to be like theatrical necessarily well, I'm just saying, like, uh, like a lot of Tim Burton movies, which this movie wants so desperately to be. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not opposed to like there being stuff that clearly is fake. It just needs to, I don't know, look good. Yeah. I guess. One of the things, as I went back through. I have a lot of back issues of Rue Morgue, and I went back through my collection to see if there was stuff about Repo in it. And like, there's one, like, two-page article from ten years ago talking about the production, and then there's like a half a page article, uh, just a few issues before that, where they're just announcing that it's being made. And what's amusing is on the cover of that issue. Like, the cover story is Tim, Tim Burton's Burton. Sweeney, Do- Sweeney Todd. On Sweeney Todd, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's this, the same year that they were making Repo, Sweeney Todd came out. And it's like, and that's, that's actually, what, like, a good movie. Yeah, that's what this movie wants to be. Yeah. And, no, like, I feel sure. like even when they were doing the stage show, they were probably thinking, oh, this will be, like, sort the of like Sweeney the Todd, industrial yeah. goth Sweeney Todd. Right. Because, like, Sweeney Todd, I don't, I think Sweeney Todd came out in, like, the 70s, the stage show. I'm not sure. I remember, like, in college, um, watching the DVD of, like, the Angela Lansbury stage version and stuff, and, like, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think that's... Sweeney Todd might be the last Tim Burton movie I saw that I thought was, like, just... I didn't have to make any excuses. Yeah. I was just like, this is a good movie directed by Tim Burton. Yeah, totally. Um, I didn't see... I haven't seen everything he's done after that, but... I, don't, I think the only thing I've seen after that is Dark Shadows. Okay. Which I enjoyed, but I'm not going to defend it to anybody. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, and, but yeah, I dug Sweeney Todd when and it, had, it came out. It was... Like, it was a, there's a lot of similar things in it. And it's also like everything is sung and stuff, in it, but it's like... It lets everything play out. We're not constantly jumping around, cutting, cutting, cutting. Like yeah. everything, like you know where everybody is in relation yeah. to each other, physically and emotionally. Um, I don't know, and all the, the the performances are great. I think it's was that the I think that might be the most recent time Johnny Depp has been nominated for an Oscar. Was he nominated for that? Yeah, really. I think. He might have been nominated more times, but like I, I definitely know that two times I can think of off the top of my head where he was nominated for the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie uh, as Best Supporting Actor, and he was nominated for Sweeney Todd Best Actor. Wow, yeah, I had no idea that he was nominated for both of those. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah let's keep talking about Repo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, Is there a lot more to say? Well, we keep calling it Repo. Which I have never seen any of the Repo movies. Oh, not yeah, to, not to say that like this is like you know a part of a of a series of films that are all together, but like I always get them confused because I, I this was the first one that I'd seen. But there yeah. was there was Repo Man, a genuine cult classic, which is from the eighties. Nothing to do with organ harvesting. I've never seen that. As far as I know, no. I think this is a regular Repo Man played by Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Then there was uh, this movie, Repo, the Genetic Opera. But then there was a movie that came out after this called Repo Men. 
which I believe I have again I haven't I haven't seen it either but I believe it's just like a non-musical version of this it's yeah it's with uh, Jude Law and um, somebody else is it uh, <laughs> hold on let me I wonder does it have like the whole like Shiloh thing like or is it just it just takes the concept of like Oregon repossession um, yeah Repo Men it was two years after this it was 2010 and it was Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker. And uh, it's based on the novel The Repossession Mambo by Eric Garcia. Oh. Okay, so there is a brief mention in um, one of the commentaries. All right, so at the end, during the... I thought it was just called Testify, but I think the song's actually called, like, We Didn't Start This Opera Shit. I think. I don't know. Um, yeah, the test. Yeah, the Testify one. Yeah. That, that would seem to be the one that they kept pushing in, like, because it's the one that's on, like, the DVD menu. Yeah. It's the one that's in, like, a lot of the featurettes that they were showing. Um, and I was like, this is the song that they, like, want to push. But, like, there's random people in the audience who, like, get up to say something about, like, how Jinko has helped them or whatever. Um, and one of them is this guy who uh he was in one of the saw films and then somebody else on the track mentions like oh and he did i think they said something about like the genetic mambo or something and then darren lebowsman is like i don't even want to talk about it or something and then somebody says like oh we can't cut him out or something like so i don't know what that is and really because like i didn't realize that that was a book yeah well the plot of this movie repo men is it's in the future and there's a corporation known as the Union selling expensive artifacts on credit, which are essentially artificial uh, organs. And when customers are unable or unwilling to pay for their artifacts, the Union sends repo men to locate and forcibly repossess the organ, invariably resulting in the death of the owner. So it's essentially that core idea. Uh... Is there, um, who wrote the book, though? Eric Garcia. Is he, was he the actor, maybe? Because I'm trying to think of, like, because that commentary was recorded before that movie came out. So I'm wondering if, like, maybe they were talking about, oh, this guy wrote a book. Um. Okay, so the repossession Mambo was written or at least it was it was published in th- in 2009 so a year after uh repo the genetic opera okay so the guy who wrote it is not that actor no he's not affiliated with repo the genetic opera at all so that might have just been some sort of joke thing that they mentioned in the commentary, but they were still referring to this book. That well, I think because like the book came out after this movie came out, and well after the musical had started. Right. So maybe they were just like, uh, like I don't even want to talk about that. But they guy. knew about the movie, or they knew about the book somehow before it was published. Yeah, maybe. Huh. It was a confusing moment on the commentary track, and I didn't realize that that was, like, 
the name of something that I don't know. Um, but anyway, all of this stuff is predated by there's a there's a the Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. There's a skit in that in which it's not repossession. They're not repo men, but there's a uh, there's a scene where somebody answers the door and it's these guys who are like uh, there to claim your claim the organ from from this person. Yes. Hello. Uh, can we have your liver? What? Your liver. It's a large uh, glandular organ in your abdomen. You know, it's uh, it's reddish brown. It's sort of. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I know what it is, but I'm using it. What's this then? I live with on his card. Need we say more? No. Listen, I can't give it you now. It's in the event of death. No one who's ever had their liver taken out by us has survived. Just lie there, so it won't take a minute. And I don't know if, if there's anything before that that's about, like, you know, organ repossession or people coming to hunt your organs. I'm sure that there have been plenty of sci-fi books written in the yeah. 70s, 60s, 50s, going back about, like, organ harvesting. But the idea of, like, a company selling you organs and then sending out repo men to take them back is a specific thing that it seems to be originated in, in the genetic opera. And Repo Men, the movie, seems to just be not have anything to do with that. But maybe it was inspired by it? I don't know. I don't know if there's any legality issues. I can't imagine there would be for that. When we were watching the movie, I remember in the end credits seeing all the different names of people involved. Um, and, like, I recognized, like, just a couple, like, there was Daniel Ash, the guitarist from Bauhaus, was one of the, like, dozens of musicians involved. Um, and then another was, uh, I saw the name Poe in there. And I figured out, well, I didn't figure it out. In the commentary, they point out who she was. Um, she doesn't appear in the movie, but she just does the voice for, uh, there's this one girl in that same testify scene that, like, he's credited as single mom because she gets up and she says like Jinko helped this single mom right something, yeah, yeah, something, yeah. be naked on live TV and she flashes that um, the person dubbing that voice is the singer Poe who did Angry Johnny um, and I think I don't know if she ever had any other hits I just remember Johnny Angry Johnny yeah I have no like, idea I'm, what you're talking about on the radio all the time never no it's not ringing any bells okay it was just its moment, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. But even that, like, all right, so that is a, uh, that's a, that's a professional singer who had at least one hit. And even that one thing she had to sing in this movie was sort of, it was like off key and awkward and. Yeah, there's so much of that going on. And yeah. it's, that, that, yeah, that's the, to me, that's like the fundamental flaw of this movie is that like. Because it's, it's an opera, you're going wall-to-wall singing. That singing and those songs have to be good, you yeah. know? 
and so much of it was just like not fun to listen to especially bill mosley yeah who's more just kind of like yelling singing i'm the toughest and the smartest (laughs) i don't know just I, that, okay, okay, here's another question I have. All right, so in that song, we're, we're introduced to those three siblings. Uh, I think it's called Mark It Up because they keep throwing organs into this, like, thing and saying, like, Mark It Up or whatever. Um, is that... Right, so where are they getting the organs from? Because in that scene, he just kills this random girl who works for them just because she pissed him off for some reason. Right. Um... And they're taking her organs. Like, is it just this whole company, they just wait until somebody pisses him off? And Like, where are the organs coming from that they are Tim, selling to people? you're asking questions that uh, the movie provides no answers for, and I have no idea. And I don't even know if it's Because uh, even all the, all, the, all the dead people, they're not even taking the dead people's organs. They're only yeah, taking, they're taking the, the zydrate the from, yeah. from their faces. <laughs> or... Uh, Which what is it? It's a it's a pain numbing thing that we all have in us, but when we die, it becomes more potent. Yeah, I don't know where the zydrate comes. Like, why does it come out of the the bodies? Is it something that like? Well, a dead body doesn't need to do anything about pain anymore. Uh huh. But... So I guess once you die, all all the zydrate, since your body isn't using it, it just. Uh... But I, I don't think it's something that is like natural to. The body i would i thought that it maybe it was something that like the people who died were using zydrate before so now there's like residual zydrate that like you can reuse okay yes but and that's why the grave robber is always yeah and i guess every single person who dies has had something done to them i guess he's just I guess so going yeah. to just it's a confusing movie yes so i mentioned that this was the uh, the way that i started my cinematic year Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, I followed it up with Lady Bird and the private life of Henry VIII. And speaking of Lady Bird, it's like now there because before you mentioned like you know you're like now I'm not like a teenage girl, so as sort of a caveat to the yeah. criticisms. But it's like Lady Bird is also about like a teenage girl, and that was a movie that like I could like relate to. Yeah, and, I loved that movie. Yeah, and it was super enjoyable and, and everything, and you really understood what that person was going through and could and you know really you know took me back to that time when i was in high school even though like i did not go to a catholic school and i was also not a teenage girl whereas yeah i mean you think about and this is a sort of an unfair comparison <laughs> because the movies are so completely different but there is a thing of like you know you look at just the the teen angst as portrayed in repo and it's uh that's all it is it's just that like glossy hot topic angsty scream at your dad in your bedroom I w- do you think ladybird would have worked if everything had been sung it could, i mean if the songs are good yeah <laughs> if the songs are good maybe because i mean that you know, repo is starting off with a handicap right there because <laughs> it's like there's all this other shit you have to deal with before even thinking about like Oh, we also have to make sure the characters and their motives make sense. And yeah, Lady Bird was so good. 
Um, but yeah, after Lady Bird and The Private Life of Henry VIII which were, were both great, then the next one I saw was one that I had sort of seen a long time ago, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which has a cult following. Yeah. Um, and I tried really hard to like it, and I just couldn't like it. There were interesting things in it, kind of like Repo. <laughs> um, and it gets mentioned in this uh, article on Bright Lights Film Journal, uh, brightlightsfilm.com. Uh, what is cult cinema? A checklist. And, you know, like, I, I was reading this article because of Repo. Like, I was searching different things about Repo, the genetic opera. Um, and it mentions it in conversation with Fear and Loathing, which I was like, oh, that's convenient because I just watched both <laughs> movies. Um, but it offers, like, this check... The, the article is by uh, Dan Bentley Baker, and it's from 2010. And it's talking about different people's, like, different definitions of cult film. And it talks about how Entertainment Weekly had, like, a list of top 50 cult films. And uh, one of them was The Shawshank Redemption. As a cult film? Because it has a cult following, but, like... Huh. No. So, this person came up with this checklist for, like, how to determine if something could be qualified as a cult film. Because there, it mentions Repo in the context of, you know, instant cult classic, and like people say stuff like that about new movies, right? And how oh, if anything is slightly off the beaten path, they'll advertise it as a cult film, right? Um, but this checklist is like it, it, it's these eight things, and it would get like one point for each of them. So like an eight out of eight, that that's definitely a cult film. Okay. Basically, anything with a score of like five or more, you could say like yeah, yeah, that's a, you know. Yeah. Passing um, grade. And they are uh, marginality, where the content falls outside general cultural norms. Okay. Would, would you give repo points for that? Yeah. All right. Definitely. Uh, number two, suppression, subject to censor, ridicule, lawsuit, or exclusion. I don't... I mean, I, yeah, I, I feel like they really tried to put this out there. It just didn't... Yeah, I don't I don't think that uh, it was suppressed at all. Yeah, it just wasn't successful. Yeah. Um, number three, economics. Box office flop upon release, but eventually profitable. Definitely box office flop upon release. I don't know if it eventually became profitable. I mean, it's been ten years. There's still people who enjoy it. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the figures I'll... you were looking at, that was just theatrical. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll give it the point because uh, you know it's all right. So uh, four uh, transgression content breaks social moral or legal rules. Um, moral rules. I mean, it does deal with some subject matter that is uh, morally questionable. I suppose. Okay. Uh, five cult following generates devoted minority audience. Seems to be the case with this movie, I would yeah. say. I mean, like, there's a lot of people who definitely say that they love the movie and uh, and love the song. So I have to imagine those people are still sort of carrying the, the flame for that and, you know, listening to and watching it every so often. And that's sort of connected to number six, community. Audience is or becomes a self-identified group. Now that, I don't know. Are there, like, repo cons? Are there, like, you know, like, repo meetups? Know. Are there, you know, now, are there, like, uh, 
you know, other productions of the genetic opera, like on stage, like around, you know, like, is it the kind of thing that like home hometown theaters would kind of like, like you know, the Rocky Horror shadow casts. Like exactly. That kind of yeah. That sort of thing. See, I don't, I I don't, don't know. know. Uh, we, we won't give it the point now just because uh, we don't know. Mm. All right. Um, seven quotation lines of dialogue become common language. Oh God. I mean, I could be quoting little glass vial <laughs> from now until I die. I don't know. And it's like, I feel like the concept of it because of things like the movie repo men, like, yeah, that definitely, I mean, it seems to be inspired by it. And like you, I feel like you could say something about like, I don't know, like if you refer to the concept, people might they'll be like, oh, be like, that's like genetic opera. Or, yeah, yeah. But I don't, would you count that? I don't know. I guess I just I, like because there are movies that like I haven't seen that I definitely know that there's like a presence of of people quoting it of people you know yeah who are you know it's become part of the lexicon of you know. I still haven't seen Fight Club, but I there's plenty of stuff in there that I just know because it's seeped in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like one of the movies, but with this is like I I don't ever hear people really talking about it. Yeah. All right, uh, and then the last one, eight, uh, iconography establishes or revives cult icons. So like if if the Repo Man in this movie you know became it if there were still like t-shirts at hot topic being sold with the repo man on it and we keep mentioning hot topic i wonder if this ever was like a big hot topic uh, yeah like if there ever was like a time you'd go into hot topic and there'd be like oh there's all the repo, repo merch i feel like there probably would be right i could imagine walking into <laughs> hot topic today and maybe finding like you know a, a vinyl pressing of the of the soundtrack yeah <laughs> Whereas, like, I mean, there's something like, like, uh, you, you brought up, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a movie that has definitely gained, like, a cult following. Like, yeah, because when sure. that came out, it was just like, oh, here's this thing. Eh, yeah. It existed. I don't... But for the last, know. like, ten years or so, there's been, like, a constant, steady Nightmare Before Christmas, like, merchandise stream. Yeah. Like, not just in Hot Topic, but it's spread even further out, like, you know... So it's like become like a more relevant movie going for you know now than it was before. Right. So I would say we were not giving this a point for iconography. I wouldn't say so because I don't see like yeah I don't see it around like. Um. All right. So at the moment it's got a four out of eight. If we gave it the community thing, it would be five out of eight. Yeah. But yeah. that's still not a very high number. No. And again, this isn't like a super scientific thing. Of course. It's because like genre gets so tricky especially i mean cult isn't even like a genre uh it's just it's like a, a category um but like it, it i i love this checklist like trying to apply to different films and stuff like um rocky horror picture show gets a seven on here uh because it it doesn't get any suppression because 20th century fox really tried to put that out there and nobody wanted to see it upon its original release <laughs> right um and they also, Two Girls, One Cup gets a seven. Two Girls, One Cup? Yeah, which it's a shorter version of the film Hungry Bitches. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of 
Two Girls, One Cup. I've heard of Two I've Girls, heard, One Cup, yes. I've never seen it. Every time I, I tried to... I've never seen it. Every time I tried to, it would just be somebody watching it. And it's just a reaction to one of the reaction videos they used to have on YouTube all the time. Right. Yeah, that's the only context that I've seen it in. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know... Everybody refers to it, but, like, I don't know anybody who's actually, like, sat and watched it or anything, but, um... But, yeah, they use that on here, and, like, that definitely gets a 7 out of 8. The one thing it doesn't get is suppression, because nobody was trying to suppress it, which is surprising if it was available to the general public online. It seems like there'd be some parent group out there trying to keep it suppressed. But anyway, um... Yeah, but despite this checklist, I feel like this would qualify as a cult film. Anyway... Do you have much more to say about Repo the Genetic Opera? I don't. I feel like uh, if we go any longer, it's just going to be beating a dead horse. We're just going to keep being like, why don't we get it? What yeah, is... yeah. There's not much yeah. more that we can really say about it. Because I... I don't want to just go on just like lambasting it. For, for Clearly, it's like this movie is for some people to enjoy, who do enjoy it. And like, that's fine. It's just not for me. I thought you said sub people. Sub, <laughs> it's for the sub people, the mole people. Uh, what I would love to come out of this episode is if you're listening to this and you are somebody who loves this movie or even just really likes it, please contact us. Try to explain your point of view. I would, because I don't want to like, I don't know. I I hate hating movies. Yeah. Um, I want to have a conversation. Maybe you will even change our minds. Especially a movie that is, like, being as bold as Repo is. Because it is, like, a bold, I you know, concept yeah. and idea. And, like, just going out there and it's there. You can tell. You can feel the passion that the, that the creators have for it. They absolutely love it. And, uh, they're very proud of it. And that's, I, I want to say, you know, I want to applaud that. I applaud the effort for sure. It didn't get me and it didn't get you, but you know, God bless it. <laughs> um, would you ever watch the stage show? Um, I don't know. Maybe actually thinking about it. Cause it's funny because it's like my, in my gut instinct is like, no, no, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this anymore, but I don't know. I mean, like it, depending on the context of like if somebody was like oh this is happening i can get you in for free <laughs> would I, you would you pay 40 dollars to see it at no. proctor's no like perfect okay i don't think so i feel like that's a really reasonable price for a show yeah so so you're not really interested in it unless it's just like you happen to be like a block away from a free show yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, I, I just I I'm don't know. curious enough about it. To I'd be, like, I'm curious about it though. I because I it, think I I think I'd shell out for a ticket just to see like what could have been. Boy, um, for a movie that you didn't like, you've seen it three times, including the two commentary watches, and you're willing to drop down forty more bucks to. Uh, well, I mean, watch the stage show. Sometimes they're just very. I mean, like the creators were very involved in the film. I mean, the grave robber. Yeah. Uh, is you grave know one of the robber. creators. <laughs> And uh, the co-creator, you know, he also helped with the screenplay, and he appears in that testify scene 
um, as like the guy singing, like everybody, everybody. Uh, um, <laughs> but I mean, even so, there could be like. I mean, one of my issues with it is how ugly it looks and the way everything's like cut back and forth. I don't think that's going to be an issue with a stage show. Yeah, and you're not going to have the uh, the crappy comic book exposition stuff. Yeah, and there are things. There are certain shows like um, all right, so like the movie Sound of Music. I have never liked that movie, and I am always surprised when it ends up on these lists of like great movies or even great musicals, and then. Um, our old high school, uh, they did the show at some point. I don't even remember when. Uh, I think... Wait, you were still in high 2003, school. 2003, I'm guessing. Okay. Um, and just, like, watching the show, even, even like, a high school production, I was like, oh, this is much better than that, you know, million-dollar movie or whatever. Because it was just, because like... Because this the has show, Matt <laughs> that would That did it, yeah. Um... He was really good at that. Yeah. Uh, he, he had one moment where I got kind of emotional. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but, like, the differences between, like, the show... Like, there were a couple songs in the show that weren't in the movie. Um, and it just seemed tighter. And this is, you know, a high school production of the show. And I'm sure if I had seen, like, the Broadway revival or something... Like, the show is the show. Right. I'm sure right. I still would have, like, had, like, these opinions. It's usually when I get the chance to see a musical, it's if a local high school puts it on, it's like, oh, cool, only five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to go see Into the Woods in March at Hudson Falls High School. I saw the movie in theaters a few years ago. I think I think that was 2014 that came out. Uh, around It was around Christmas. Um, and I went with these two girls who like love the show they love Sondheim and so and like um I did not care for that movie all that much but I liked it more than them because they were like offended by some of the changes from the show right, right. so I'm thinking when I go and see this like you know Hudson Falls high school production <laughs> you know maybe I'll appreciate it a bit more I don't know but you know I feel the same way maybe Repo the Genetic Opera that comes to town or if you know south glens falls high school puts on a repo of the genetic opera one year i mean if, if part of your problem is like you know ah the, the you know like the sets in the movie don't look good and blah 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 it's like you'll have plenty of time to just soak everything up in a stage show yeah and I, man if the, if high school stage sets put this movie sets to shame that's embarrassing do you think high schools should maybe put on productions of repo um, I think people would have issues with the content and being appropriate for children. You could pare down some of it. Um, like you don't have to. Have I will find a hole and love it. Yeah, exactly that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you can kind of just like tweak some of that. I feel like even some of the violence might. I don't, when when Southland Falls put on West Side Story, I don't think anybody had an issue with it. But I've heard of other places around the world where it's like oh we can't do that one because it's got you know the it's stabbing gunplay yeah. <laughs> um oh that was an, yeah so last night in preparation for this episode <laughs> i rewatched that one scene from west side story <laughs> um with uh it's the, like the um the design rate Yes. 
Bernardo's out on the street <laughs> selling side day. Um, the the re- the reprise of tonight, where the whole cast is doing it, is leading up to the rumble, um, because they have a scene like that in Repo where they're all getting ready for the opera, and I think it's like at the opera tonight or something. Right. Yep. And like watching it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like West Side Story, but only in the sense that it shows all these different people getting ready. Um, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of West Side Story either, but um. I found that scene more effective than the scene in Repo. So, my summary, Repo the Tentacle Opera, not as good as the 1961 film West Side Story. Okay. Yeah, I can live with that. So I guess that probably wraps up our discussion on Repo the Genetic Opera. I mentioned this in context of some other movies that I saw, and I feel like the listeners might benefit from hearing the movies that you watched leading up to Repo... Like how you started your year with movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, if you listen to, uh, la- uh, was it? Yeah, it was last week's episode. We talked about some of our New Year's resolutions. And one of mine, which kind of ties into this whole theme for these, for this month of episodes, is I, I have this movie collection that I have so many movies that I've never watched. And so I, I'm like, okay, this year I'm going to try to actually like get through a lot of the my backlog. And so I just started watching uh, films that I have on DVD that I've never watched before. And so I watched uh, Philadelphia Story. I watched The Seventh Seal. I watched The French Connection. Um, Some Like It Hot. Party Monster. um, The Killing. Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Um... Yeah, then uh, some others that I think I'm forgetting, but yeah, lots of really great films. <laughs> Party Monster, I would say, is a cult film. That probably uh, I don't know how it does on the checklist, but yeah, I don't, I don't either. Mm. But uh, yeah, I was surprised by that. I thought that was uh, I really enjoyed it. So, it cool. if all these movies were like sitting at the same would you see these movies like sharing a table like i don't know <laughs> it's a yeah it definitely is a mishmash and on top of that i saw we, we went and saw ladybird together yeah. in the theater and then actually just last night on i came home from from googs and i just sort of on a whim i threw on netflix and i i watched it follows finally got around to watching that because i i just hadn't seen it before and uh yeah lots of really good movies so far this year <laughs> i feel like it follows um I don't know, like Shiloh's plight of uh, wanting to like break away and become an adult. I feel like there's mm, definitely some some thematic similarities yeah. there. And it follows is saying like, no, no, being an adult is horrible. You don't want it to catch you, right? <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, I I don't want to get too deep into it follows, but uh, you know, because I don't want to give any spoilers because I didn't really know much about it at all or what it was in in. The title you know and it's still it open follows. for debate which i love yeah no I, it, but it wasn't i will just say like it wasn't what i was expecting and i thought it was really cool very interesting um but yeah as you say like can you imagine all these films sort of sitting at a table together uh i don't know what that table looks like i don't know what i don't know what thanksgiving dinner that is <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's yeah definitely an eclectic 
yeah. mix going. So, yeah, what are we going to watch next episode? Is it your turn, then? I guess it'll be my turn. Because um, I'll do all four. We did so well with Repo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, I picked out uh, two films from my from my library that... Uh, if we're going to do four episodes, first one, Repo. Do you have a second movie picked out yet? No, I'm going to wait. And I'm going to do it the way I did Repo. I'm not even going to... I'm Like, I'm looking at a bunch of stuff. I'm not deciding until, like, the day we record next episode then i'll just randomly blurt something out and we'll just have to deal with it oh good um <laughs> yeah well i've picked a couple out that i thought would would make for some some good discussion um and i feel like next episode we should let's go with uh the outlaw josie wales the clint eastwood film which i have seen before yeah i have not seen it i actually own quite a lot of clint eastwood movies um, sort of going back to when I was uh, going to ACC and I took a class about uh, ma- uh, great filmmakers, what was it called? Major Filmmakers? Yeah. And it was a three-part course that, that focused on three different filmmakers. Um, Officially, it was three one-credit courses. Right, yes. And it was uh, Alfred Hitchcock, John Ford, and Clint Eastwood. And that was really the first time that I had really considered Clint Eastwood as like a director I guess because um, I just hadn't seen many of his directorial films I think the only one I had seen was uh, High Plains Drifter hmm. but uh, yeah and I, I so I took that class watched a bunch of his movies and at that time I, I, yeah, I just got really into Clint Eastwood films and just started buying them all up when I took that class it was Hitchcock Ford and Billy Wilder Okay. And apparently another semester it was Hitchcock, Ford, and Woody Allen. Huh. So it seems <laughs> Hitchcock and Ford are the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, makes sense. Um, yeah, because I've always... You know, I mean, I think for a lot of people you consider Clint Eastwood as an actor. Um, but, boy, yeah, in the second half of his career, he's really more so known today maybe as uh, more of a for his directorial work but The Outlaw Josie Wales is one that uh, it's sort of one of his bigger films one of his more major films that I have not seen so I feel like it's a now's a good time as any to take a take a watch let's do it and discuss so yeah that'll be next episode The Outlaw Josie Wales if you do want to defend Repo the Genetic Opera, you can reach out to us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, Talking Movies. Um, or you can uh, leave us a comment on uh, podbean.com, which is where we host the podcast. Or you can go to uh, iTunes or any of the other places you find your podcasts and leave us a review. Or send us an email at talkingmoviespod at gmail.com it would be great to hear from anybody who's listening yeah we're lonely talk to us (laughs) okay so thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of talking movies i am max i'm tim and we will see you next time